Uh, and as you know, we are, we are working our way through the book of Acts, so we're going to continue that today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 15. Uh, and last week, we, we saw the bulk of chapter 15 is about what is called the Jerusalem Council, the Jerusalem Council. It's where, where the church came together with this, uh, this battle for the gospel, this argument, debate that had come up. Some of the Jewish believers were saying in order to be a true Christian, a true believer, you had to be saved by grace, but also be circumcised and follow the law. And Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James and others were like, no, that's, that's not it. We're not, we're not adding to the gospel. They confirmed in Acts 15 that salvation is by Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So this is a this is a big moment for the church. So we're gonna we're gonna pick back up at the end of that and see what happens next in Acts fifteen thirty six. We're gonna carry it a little bit into chapter sixteen today. And our passage this morning is all about relationships, all about relationships. And in just a few verses today, what we're going to see is we're going to see the the highs and lows, the ups and downs of being in relationship with other people. And and we all experience this, right? Whether it's with friends, with family, with our spouse, with coworkers, neighbors, we experience the the ups and downs, right? I'm sure you could tell me Story after story of the good times that you've shared with those you love, with your, your close friends, good times and fellowship and good conversations, maybe good vacations, things like that, good memories, right? We all have good times with our close friends, with those that we're in relationship with. Uh, and then we also have some low moments, right? Some difficult moments, uh, some, some hard moments in relationship. We all experience this, and that's what we're going to see in today's passage is, is the difficult aspects, the messiness of our relationships, but also, also the beauty and the blessing of being in relationship, in community with one another. So again, if you have your Bibles, Acts 15, starting in verse 36, and we're going to go down to 16, verse 5. And again, just like last week, I'm reading out of the CSB version. That's the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, Starting in verse 36, it says, After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. After being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, he traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16, Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Okay, so with this, if you remember our time, we, we closed out Acts chapter 14 a couple weeks ago with the end of Paul's first missionary journey. We, we saw in chapters 13 and 14, he goes to all these different places and eventually makes his way back to Antioch and just kind of sets up camp there. Then we have the Jerusalem Council. And now here in Acts 15, he's setting off on his second missionary journey. So by the time chapter 14 ends, to this point in Acts chapter 15, we're talking a year, maybe two years have passed. So keep that in mind. And now Paul is saying to Barnabas, his partner in ministry, hey, let's, let's go back. It's been a couple of years. Let's go back to these churches that we visited, that we, that we helped plant, right? That we preached the gospel. Let's go back and encourage them and see how they're doing. And Barnabas was like, yeah, let's do that. And let's bring along John Mark. And Paul's like, well, no, 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 hold up. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. And they have this disagreement. And we're going to get into the details of all of that, but 
But eventually, now we have two missionary parties setting out on this journey. I think we have our map, uh, if we can go ahead and put that up. So this is, and we'll be looking at this over the next couple of weeks, but this is kind of where we stand. So they're launching out here in Antioch. We see one group goes to Cyprus, and then Paul and Silas are going to come around. That's modern-day Turkey up there, where they're going to come around in Syria and Sicilia. They're going to make their way back to Derby and Lystra, which we saw at the end of Acts chapter 14. And then as we get into 16, we're going to see they're going to make their way through the rest of modern-day Turkey and into Europe next week. So just kind of keep that in mind. And I just want to point out real quick, I don't want there to be any confusion before we go on. Uh, So Paul wants to bring along Timothy, and Timothy's going to become a a big player in the church. We're going to see a lot of Timothy. You study Paul's letters, you're going to see Timothy come up a lot. There's two books of your Bible written to this Timothy that we see here, and Paul wants to bring him along. And we're going to dig into a little bit of that, but, but one thing he does that I just want to point out and explain real quick before we move on is, is Paul circumcises him. And I know that might seem like, wait, what is he doing? That Didn't Paul just get angry just last chapter about believers being circumcised? And he did this whole big debate and argument and fight to prevent this very thing. What's up with that? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. So Timothy is, is not just Gentile and not just Jewish, right? He's, he's of mixed ethnicity here. So he's part Greek and part Jew, and the people in this region knew who Timothy was, knew that he was part Jew, and we've already seen how just volatile the Jewish folks can be in Derby and Lystra and Iconium. I mean, these are the places that stoned Paul, all right? So they are very fervent and excited about this kind of stuff, and Paul knew that by bringing along Timothy, who had not been circumcised yet, he knew that that topic was going to come up, and Paul didn't want any hindrance to the gospel. He didn't want it to be any distraction of people going, oh, you're bringing along this guy? Well, he's not circumcised. What's up with that? Like, that was a big deal. So Paul circumcises him to be able to bring him along to not have any hindrance to the gospel, not have any difficulty as he's ministering to these places where it would have been seen as a big deal. Paul references this kind of mindset in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where he says he's going to be all things to all people, right? To the Jew, he became a Jew. To the Greek, he became a drink, uh, to a Greek. So he's all about, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel. And this is just an example of that. So I wanted to explain that before we move on. But the main focus of this passage is relationships. It's relationships, right? We see, the again, the, the highs and lows of relationships here in this passage. And specifically, what we're going to focus on is the necessity of our relationships, the messiness of our relationships, and how God works in our relationships. So if you're taking notes, our first point is we need relationships. We need relationships. We need relationships. We are created as relational beings. When God created us, he says, I created you in my image. And part of being made in the image of God is being relational with one another. We're we're created to have relationships with each other. That's how we're designed. That's how God created us. We see when when God created Adam, what what does it say? It It was not good that Adam was alone. Right? And that's not just a, a, a reference towards marriage. I know you probably heard weddings where that was referenced. Not good for man to be alone. Yes, that's true, but it's not just in marriage. It's, it's speaking more broadly of relationships with one another. God created Adam and said, it's not good for Adam to be by himself. That's not how I created him. I created him to have relationships with other humans, with other people, and with God. We are designed and created to be in relationship with God and others. And what we see all throughout Scripture is that that being in community, being in relationship with one another, is for our good and for the good of others. It's for our benefit and for the benefit of others. So we need relationships. And I think there's three types of relationships that we see here in just these few verses. The three types of relationships. first one that we see is the relationship that Paul has with Barnabas and, and Paul has with Silas. So Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas is the first type of relationship that we see here. And this is the relationship of, of close friends, of close friends. I mean, you think about when, when Paul first got connected with Barnabas in Antioch. I mean, that was all the way back in Acts chapter 11, where Barnabas goes to Antioch and he's like, man, I need some help. I'm going to go get Paul and bring him here. I mean, that was years and years ago at this point. Like, they've been in ministry side by side for years. These guys were tight. They were close. 
They had a close friendship. And now Silas comes into the picture, and and Silas and Paul are about to spend years doing ministry together. And Timothy is going to spend years doing ministry with Paul. They had these close, tight-knit friendships and relationships with each other. And we need that in our lives. We need that. We need close friends in our lives, people that, that know us, that know all about who we are, that we can trust and lean on and, and depend on. And I think that that's where some of the benefit comes in in having these close relationships, right? Like Paul could trust and depend on Barnabas. He could trust and depend on Silas. And this is, this is part of why Paul was like, man, we can't bring John Mark. I can't trust that guy. I can't depend on that guy. And we're stepping into some hard places. I mean, we're going back to places where I got stoned, all right? I need somebody that I can trust and lean on and depend on. And John Mark's not that guy. Like, so we kind of see why Paul felt so strongly about this. We need people in our lives that we can depend on. That, man, that we can do uh, the hard work of, of living this Christian life together that we can lean on each other when we need it, when we're having a hard day, a hard moment, we can call and say, man, I just need some encouragement. Man, can you just pray with me? Like, we need people in our lives that we can trust on and, and depend on. We need people that, that when our, our world is falling down, when we're walking through some of the most difficult and hardest moments of our lives that we can just call on and those people will just come over and, and maybe sit with us in a dark room by ourselves. You know, like we, we need people in our lives like that. We need close friendships, people that we can trust and lean on, especially when things are going wrong. So we see that, that that's a big benefit to having a close friend is you can trust and depend on them. We also see having a close friend allows you to be open and honest with somebody. Right? That's part of having a deep relationship is you have to open yourself up and be honest and vulnerable and be known by somebody else. And when we do that, it opens the door for us to speak honestly with each other. And that's what we see here in this passage. Did did they have a sharp disagreement? Absolutely. But the reason they got to that sharp disagreement, Paul and Barnabas, is because they were willing to be honest with each other. They were willing to speak honestly to each other. And look, we're we're not told who was right and wrong in this. They were probably both a little right and probably both a little wrong, would be my guess. We don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. But what we do know is, man, they didn't shy away from hard conversations. They didn't shy away from speaking hard truths to each other. And we need people in our lives that are going to do that. We need people that, that know us so fully and deeply that, man, when we start to go astray, when we start to get a little sideways, they can call us back. They can say, hey, Travis, man, I've, I've noticed you're getting a little off course, man. You might be blind to this. You might not be even see it. You might not even be aware of what you're doing. But, dude, I see it. Because I know you. I need to speak honestly with you. And does that hurt? Yeah, that hurts. None of us like that, right? Am I probably going to respond defensively at first? Yeah, probably, maybe, sometimes, most of the time, if I'm being honest with myself. But it's good, right? That's for our, that's for our good. We need people that know us so deeply that they can speak truth and that I'm actually going to hear it from you. This is what what Proverbs said. Proverbs uh, 27 verse 6 says, The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy or the compliments of an enemy are excessive. We can trust even the hard words, the words that cut a little bit, the words that wound a little bit. We can trust that from a close friend. And that's good for us, right? We need people in our lives that can know us, that can speak honestly, that, that can encourage us, that can love on us. Proverbs uh, 27, 17 says, just a few verses later, says this, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. That's the beauty of close friendships, is we can sharpen each other. We can encourage each other. We can point each other towards Jesus throughout this life. Man, we need that. We need that. We need a close friend in our lives. We need a Barnabas. We need a Saul, or a Silas, I mean. All right, the next relationship that we see is that between Barnabas and John Mark. Barnabas and John Mark. So, so Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement all about John Mark. And it might help, be helpful to, know, to remember that John Mark is Barnabas's cousin, right? Maybe we all got that family member that, you know, we got to give a little extra leeway to. We got to forgive a little bit more. You know, maybe we got somebody like that. But that was, that was, that was John Mark with Barnabas here. So their family and Barnabas here is, uh, is wanting to give 
John Mark a second chance, right? And I think it's important to know that Barnabas seems to know that, that John Mark messed up, right? So, so Luke writes, as Luke is writing this, he writes that, that, uh, that John Mark deserted them. Now that paints his leaving in a negative light, right? It paints it in a negative light. It wasn't like, oh man, something came up and John Mark had to go and we totally understood. We supported him in that decision. No, it says that he deserted. If somebody deserts us, that's not a positive thing, right? Like that's not a good thing. We don't look back and like, oh man, you remember that time that so-and-so deserted me? That was awesome. That was great. I loved that. I wish more people would do that, right? Like nobody talks like that. No, this was a negative thing. So Barnabas knows that John Mark messed up. He knows that he messed up here. Barnabas isn't asking, you know, let's just, let's just ignore what happened. What Barnabas is asking is, hey, can we give this guy a second chance? Can we give him a second chance? Paul, I know, I, get, I know he messed up. I know he deserted us. I know he turned back. I get it. But man, he's grown. He's grown. He's changed. Let's give him a second chance. And Paul's like, man, I, I just can't. I just can't, right? Look, here's what we can learn from this. We all mess up, right? None of us are perfect. We all mess up, especially in our relationships with one another. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And sometimes, sometimes we're the John Mark, and we need a Barnabas to come along and give us a second chance. We need people in our lives that are going to give us a second chance, that know we messed up, that see the mistakes we've made, and go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you another shot here. You know, sometimes it's, it's with a first impression, like we, we make a bad first impression or whatever, and sometimes that just sears in people's minds. Some of y'all know people like this where it's just like, man, you can't get past whatever first impression you make. Well, we need, we need a Barnabas in our lives that can sometimes give us a little bit of grace when we mess up there, right? That can kind of see past, I can kind of see, oh man, you know, yeah, Travis, you know, yeah, he messed up then. Yeah, he was kind of mean then or whatever it was, but like, man, he's changed. He's, let's give him a second chance. Let's give him a second shot here. Like we need somebody like Barnabas in our lives. And sometimes... We need to be a Barnabas to somebody else. Sometimes we need to give grace from that bad first impression. Sometimes we need to give grace for that mistake and sin that somebody made and be willing to go, you know what? I'm going to give you a second chance here. I'm going to give you a second chance. And look, I, I say that and I know, I know there, there's some times where we need to be like Paul. Or we need to be like Paul and go, no, you know what? I can't do it. I can't give you a second chance. What happened was too much. We can't do it. We got to move. Like, I just can't do it. Sometimes we got to be like Paul. But sometimes we got to be like Barnabas and give somebody a second chance. And what, how do, how do you do it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There's no playbook. There's no like, hey, turn to this chapter and it gives you all the different scenarios of when to do this and when to not do this. It, that's where we, we got to trust the Holy Spirit. We've got to make, make as best decisions as we can, the wisest decisions that we can, asking God to give us his divine wisdom in these moments. So we trust and lean on the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we've got to be Paul. Sometimes we've got to be Barnabas, right? So we need people in our lives to give us a second chance. We need to be willing and open to give others a second chance. When the Holy Spirit says, hey, I'm, do this, might not make sense, might be hard, might be difficult, but the Holy Spirit leads us to give second chances. We do it, right? Because how, how many times has God given us a second chance, right? Amen? How often? How many chances are we up to at this point? Like I lost count a long time ago. <laughs> lost count. It's, it's high, right? That's what God does for us. All right, next uh, relationship that we see here is Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. So the last one here is between Paul and Timothy. This is more of a, of a mentor-mentee relationship. So Paul comes to this, this city that, that he's done ministry in and comes across young Timothy comes across young Timothy, and, and it says, you know, he, he seems to be a faithful disciple, right? Like, people knew of Timothy already, even as young age. We don't know how old he is, but we're talking like 18, 19, early 20s, something like that, probably. So he's a young guy. Paul sees something in him, sees that he's well thought of by other people, and it's like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour into this guy. I'm going to pour into this guy. I'm going to invite him along to the work so that I can pour into him, so that I can disciple him. I mean, Paul took a chance here, right? The last time they took along a young guy was who? John Mark. And what happened there? He deserted them, right? We've been talking about that. But Paul sees something in young Timothy, probably something similar to what we saw in young John Mark, and he takes another chance. And he invites Timothy into the work so he can disciple 
and pour into him. And man, we need that in our lives. We need somebody to pour into us, to disciple us, to mentor us, right? We need a Paul, especially if we're a little younger in our faith. We need somebody who's been around longer, who's, who's seen more, who's walked with Jesus longer, who's more mature, further along in their faith to come alongside us like Paul does here and encourage us and mentor us and disciple us. Somebody that, that you can see some potential in and call it out of them, right? Like that's what we need. I had somebody like that when I was young in ministry. His name is Matt Boone. Matt Boone was this, uh, was Paul to me. And uh, so I got, I'm 36 now, I got my first job in ministry as soon as I graduated high school. I graduated in June, and I started a couple weeks later. I hadn't even turned 18 yet, right? It was a couple more weeks in July when I turned 18. So for the better part of 18 years, I have been in some form, function of pastoral ministry. But man, it started out rough. It started out rough. I got my first job as an intern at my dad's church plant. He planted a church down in South Florida, and uh, it was struggling at this point. Like, it was struggling. It would be a couple more years before it completely uh, shut down. But uh, they hired me, kind of just intern, do all things, do whatever. Oh, yeah, sure, here's some students. Go try to disciple them if you want to, Travis. Sounds great. Uh, so I did that for like a year. And then, you know, as a, as a struggling church plant so often does, like, hey, we can't pay your, you know, it was like $100 a month at that point. We can't pay that anymore. I was like, really? Okay, that's fine. I'll figure it out. Don't worry. Uh, so they couldn't pay me anymore. So I, I went back to the church where I came from. And uh, I got a job there. I knew the, the youth pastor. He was a family friend. So he hired me uh, to kind of oversee, not kind of, to, to oversee and run the middle school ministry. So uh, he had this uh, middle school ministry and high school ministry and had me run the middle schoolers. And I was 19 at the time. And let me just tell you, I had no idea what I was doing. Zero idea what I was doing. And it was, y'all, it was bad. It was bad. It was all, I was, I was bad with the kids. I was bad with the parents. I was bad with the volunteers. I had no idea what I was doing. Well, that guy eventually left, and then we hired this guy, Matt Boone. And Matt Boone came in and had every reason to be like, Travis, thanks for your time here. Go find something else to do with your life. And I look, I was already feeling that. Like, I knew I didn't do a good job. I was struggling. I was miserable. I was not happy. But Matt saw something in me. He saw something in me. And I found this out later uh, once he kept me on. Uh, he told me this. I don't know why he told me this, but I was thankful for it. He told me, he was like, hey, just so you know, so-and-so families over here, these families, they told me to fire you when I got hired. And I honest, like, honest to, to him, I was like, dude, you probably should have. You probably should have. Because they were like, dude, Travis is not good. He has no idea what he's doing. And that's like, I know, he's young. Let me, let me work with him. And he did, and he did. Man, I was ready to walk away from ministry and that called me back in. So you have him to blame for me being your pastor here today. He's a pastor up in Tennessee. If you want to look him up, uh, you can bug him and say, why did you do that? Um, but anyways, Matt Boone, man, he saw something. He poured into me. He mentored me, discipled me, challenged me, helped me see what it meant to actually be a pastor. We need that. We need that. And, and you know what? If we are a little bit further along, somebody like a Matt, you need a Timothy. You need a Timothy. Those who are more mature in your faith, be on the lookout for a Timothy. Somebody that, that you can pour into. Somebody that you can come alongside to encourage and disciple and help point and refine them in Jesus' name, right? Like that's, we, we need to find somebody to come alongside and, and to pour into, just like Paul does here. This is what, this is what Titus 2 says about discipleship in the church. It says this, uh, Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 2, says, Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children and to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. So God designed the church to have spiritual mothers and fathers, more mature, experienced, wiser believers to come alongside the younger believers, to encourage, to disciple, to help teach, to help show the way of how to live faithfully for Jesus. So if you're here and you're more of a Timothy and you're like, man, I need somebody to mentor me, to disciple me, here's what I would say. Don't sit around and just wait for that to happen. 
Look around you in this church and see, man, is there somebody who's a little further along than I am, who's more mature in their faith, older, wiser, whatever it is? Maybe, you know, can I, let, me, let me go to them and say, hey, would you mind pouring into me? Can we meet on a regular basis and you just help me walk with Jesus? Can you do, like, ask. And I'm telling you, man, those, those that, that are here and are more mature in their faith, I'm willing to bet, put a lot of money on it if I, if I did gamble, but I love Jesus, so I don't, I'm just kidding. Um, but if we did, I promise you, they would say yes. They would say yes. And look, if you're here and, and you are further along in your spiritual journey, you're more of a Paul and you're able to spend some time mentoring somebody who's young in the faith, don't, don't sit around and wait to be asked. If you see a young guy, just like Paul did, Paul didn't wait around for Timothy to ask. He saw something in Timothy and said, Timothy, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. You, let's do this. If you see somebody who's, who's young, you're like, man, I, I want to help this person out. I want to encourage them and, and disciple them and help point them to Jesus. Go and say, hey, would, can, let, let's, let's meet together. Let's go out to coffee. This way, let me take you out to lunch. And let's just talk about Jesus. Let's just talk about Jesus. Let's just do that. That's, that's, what, that's what Titus says, right? This is, what we, this is what discipleship is supposed to look like in the church. So let's do that. Let's, let's be that. So we, we need relationships, right? We need to pursue godly relationships, godly friendships and community with one another, right? We need, to be, we need to be open and honest and vulnerable. We need to let other people into our lives to have relationships with them. We need that. We were designed and created for that. All right, number two. Number two. So we, we need relationships. Number two, relationships can be messy. Relationships can be messy. So even though relationships are of good benefit to us and good benefit to others, they can still get messy, right? And sometimes at, you know, at the drop of a hat, you think everything's great and wonderful, and all of a sudden, boom, sin comes in, and there's a big old mess on your hands. Uh, you guys know this, but uh, I've, I've got three kids. Our youngest is, is Myla. She's 18 months. And uh, there are times where I don't know what it is with her. Maybe she gets bored. I know she's a little bit, she's not a little bit, she's a lot of a, like a jokester and a prankster. Like she just wants to do things to get a rise out of people, to kind of maybe get a little bit under your skin uh, and maybe like make a joke about it and just kind of be a prankster. Um, and I'd be lying if I said that she didn't get that from me. But thankfully the Holy Spirit has refined me, y'all. So maybe, you know, we can pray that for her too. But she likes to, to just kind of be a jokester a little bit. And uh, one of the things that she'll do is just at a drop of the hat sometimes, she'll just take food and just throw it, just chunk it while she's eating. Zayden and Livy start laughing, then she starts doing it all the more. I'm trying not to laugh because I'm like, man, I gotta clean this up, but it's really funny. You think it's, she's like cracking up, laughing the whole time. So I remember that one time this week, uh, I, I made tacos. So we had, you know, some ground beef and like beans and rice and things like that. Things that can easily be grabbed in, in a handful and thrown across the room. So I remember she's, she's eating and I, I can see, so I'm sitting across the table from her, Kendra's next to her. She can't see this, but I'm looking at her and I see this look. So she's got this look and she's looking around She's got a handful of food in her hand. She's like, now's the time. And just chucks it. Just chucks it. And then every, like, Zayden and Livia are cracking up. I'm like, no, don't do that. She's got another handful now. She's about to, we're just, like, grabbing her. We're trying to grab. This is, this is, like, all the time, all right? This is on a regular basis. One time at lunch this week, I'm at home with her during the day. So she's eating lunch. And I'm in the kitchen. I'm like, you know, from here to this chair, not even that far away. I'm close to her, right? So it's not like I'm ignoring her or anything like that. But I do turn to start unloading some dishes in our dishwasher. And the next thing I know, food is just flying everywhere. It's just flying everywhere. And I'm like, what are you doing? Stop that. And she's just laughing at me. That's what she does, right? Everything's fine until it's not, right? Everything's fine and clean and nice until, no, now I got a big old mess on the floor that I got to clean up. And that's, that's sometimes how relationships can be, right? Everything's fine until it's not. Go back to, to, to 15, Acts 15, 36. It says, after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing, right? Sounds good. Starts out good. Everything's awesome. Everything's great. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. Okay, verse 38, Paul insisted they should not take along this man who deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Things got messy. Things got messy real quick, right? It says that they, had a, they had a sharp disagreement. That, that word is the Greek word paroxysmos, paroxysmos. And it means a, a severe argument based on intense difference of opinion. This was a big deal. This was a big fight they had. This was a big disagreement. It was all over John Mark, right? Again, it says that, that he deserted them. He left them. 
And Paul just can't bring himself to trust this guy again. And Barnabas was just his you know, good heart. He's the encourager, right? Wants to give him a second chance, and they have this sharp disagreement. And again, we don't know, you know who's at fault, who's to blame for what. You know, who, who's in the right, who's in the wrong. It's probably a little bit of both, like we said, right? It's probably a little bit of both. But, but they had such a sharp disagreement, they can't see eye to eye on this, and eventually they just have to separate. They have to separate. So two teams go out, right? Barnabas sails to Cyprus. Paul goes north and then west. They split up. Relationships can get messy, right? Relationships can get messy. Here's the thing. As, as much as we are saved by God's grace, and he's working on us and refining us and sanctifying us, we still struggle with sin in this life, right? We still struggle. We're saints in the name of Jesus, but we still struggle with sin. And here's the deal. We don't just struggle with sin. Everybody struggles with sin. So when we're in relationship with other people, whether it's a friendship, whether it's with your boss or your coworker, whether it's with your spouse, when there's two sinners involved, guess what's eventually going to happen? Sin. Sin's going to get in and make a mess. Relationships can get messy. And here's the hard part about it. Like, here's the difficult part about that is when we have real relationships with somebody, like a true, uh, authentic relationship, friendship, whatever it is with somebody, that requires us to be open and vulnerable and honest. And like people know us and we're opening up these, these deep parts of our lives that we don't share with just anybody, but we open it up to, to those who are in relationship with us. And, and man, that just, that makes us open to being hurt, Right? When we're that open and vulnerable and we're in that relationship with somebody, it, it leaves us open to get hurt. And that, sometimes that happens. Relationships get messy. So as a, as a believer, if you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, what do I do when things get messy? What do I do when, when somebody sins against me and hurts me? What, what do I do if I sin against somebody else and I hurt them? What, what, what do we do? Scripture tells us we try to work it out. We try to work it out. This is what Jesus says. These are words of Jesus in Matthew 18. We probably read this a hundred times. Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. So if somebody sins against me, what do I do? Do I gossip with my other friends about it? Do I post some, you know, really passive, aggressive thing on Facebook or social media where if they read it, they'll know I'm talking about them? But if somebody's like, hey, were you talking about so? Oh, no, I was just, it was a general statement. I don't, you know, you can take it for whatever you want it to take. Yeah, so I definitely didn't mean it. You know, we do that kind of thing. Well, that's not why. Let's not be, uh, let's be open here, you know. So if somebody sins against you, what, what do we do? We go and talk to them. We go and talk to them. We talk to them about it. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. That's the idea. Like, if he hears you and apologizes and repents, man, you've gained your brother back. Friendship has been restored. Relationship has been restored. You know, verse 16, though, but if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Verse 17, if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. So, so when somebody harms us, when somebody sins against us, we are to try to work it out. We go and talk to them. If they don't listen to us, we bring along some other people. If they don't listen to that person, man, we get the church involved if it's between two believers. And if they still don't listen to the church, at that point, then it's like, okay, you know what? I've done what I could. I've tried everything. Now I'm going to move on, right? That's what it means to treat somebody as a tax collector or a Gentile here. This is what Paul writes in Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. So here's, here's what these passages mean. The job, the responsibility of the person who has been harmed, according to Scripture, your job is to seek forgiveness, to seek forgiveness, to try to work it out, to bring up the conversation of, hey, man, that, that hurt. Hey, when you did this, this is how it came across to me. Like, you try to have those conversations. You try to work it out. You try to take steps towards forgiveness. 
the job of the person who did the hurting, your responsibility, repent and make it right. Repent and make it right. If you've sinned against somebody and they come to you and say, hey, you've sinned against me, your job is to repent, apologize, do whatever you got to do to make it right and restore the relationship. Now, it's great when that works out, right? Like, it's great when, when these harms and these hurts come up in relationships, you talk about it, you work through it, and then you move forward, right? You move forward winning your brother back, as Jesus says. It's great when that happens doesn't always work out like that. So what happens when, when you can't work it out? And like, Travis, man, I, I hear what you're saying, but man, it's not that simple. I get it. I totally get it. So what, what do I do if I, if I can't work it out? For whatever reason, I get it. Sometimes it's, it's maybe there's a disagreement between you and your boss. You're like, man, I can't just pull my boss aside and confront them, right? Like, that's not how it works. I get it. I get it. Maybe just there's weird family dynamics, and that's who you're in an argument with or whatever. Like, I understand. Or maybe, like, the person who hurt you, like, man, it is a, it is a deep cut. It is a deep when They have deeply wronged you in a lot of ways. Like I'm, what we're kind of talking about is like these little hurts that come in relationship, these frictions that come in relationship. Like I get it. Some wounds, man, they are, they are deep and it's not as simple as just we have a conversation. Like I understand that. So what happens when, when we're in kind of one of those moments? Well, sometimes you need to pull a Paul and Barnabas and time and space, time and space. I always tell when I'm in counseling sessions, time and space heal a lot of wounds. They do. Sometimes we just need time and space away from that person. I know sometimes that's not always possible. Again, I understand that these are not, you know, we're, we can't, I can't give you a playbook for every single thing that comes up, but sometimes you need time and space. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, just as, as Paul does here in Colossians 3, we need to remember how much Jesus has forgiven us so that we can then forgive somebody else, right? Sometimes we need to extend grace to the other person. And when we talked about this a couple weeks ago, or last week, what's, what's grace? It's a free gift. It's an undeserved gift. You're like, Travis, you don't understand. They hurt me. I, I, I get it. I hear you. But sometimes we need to extend grace. Do they deserve that? No. Do we deserve it? No. So sometimes we need to give grace. And look, I get it. That's hard. That's difficult. But I'm just telling you, extending grace and forgiveness is far better than carrying around your hurt your anger, your bitterness, and your resentment, that will eat you up. And you're only causing yourself more hurt and pain in that moment. And sometimes, look, sometimes we can't get there on our own and we need help. And I wanna, I wanna tell you, man, if you're there, if you have been deeply wounded by somebody, if you've been deeply wronged and hurt by somebody, reach out for help. Talk to a pastor, talk to a counselor. Man, there is great beauty and benefit that can come in meeting with a counselor. So if you're there, look, there's no shame in that. If you need help connecting with somebody, you're talking with somebody, like, please, I just want you to know your pastor is here to help you in whatever way that I can. All right, so just know you can always reach out. And if I can help, I will. If I need to point you to somebody else, I will help find the right person for you. Sometimes we need some extra help to get us to this point of healing, all right? So don't think you can do it on your own because we can't, all right? So it's okay to ask for help. And then pray. Bring it to the Lord, right? Bring your, your pain, your frustration. Bring your desire for justice to the Lord. I love reading some of the Psalms and some of the prayers in the Old Testament, especially where there's actual prayers in your Bible of somebody praying and asking God to destroy their enemies, all right? Like destroy the people in their lives that are causing them harm and pain. Like Nehemiah does this in Nehemiah, and we see this all throughout the Psalms. We're like, God, would you please, like just destroy them, wipe them out. And you're like, man, I can't pray that. I can't pray that. We're, we're supposed to be good Christians, all about loving people. How can I pray that? Because in that moment when you're praying that, what you're doing is you're bringing that to God. And you're trusting God to work out his justice. And look, you ask God to smite your enemies, he might say, no, Travis, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that, man. I'm not going to do that. But I can at least trust God for justice, right? It's not me working out revenge. It's not me working out my form of justice and vengeance. It's me trusting that to the Lord. So yeah, sometimes we need to pray and ask God to work it all out. All right, so sometimes relationships get messy, right? And then our last point, our last one, our third point here is, is God works in our relationships. And we're gonna, we're gonna end here. God works in our relationships. He works in, in every aspect of our lives, but especially in our relationships. I want to just give you, as we close up today, just some, some ways that God works in our relationships with one another. 
Uh, so one of the ways God works is God uses our relationships to grow us. God uses our relationships to grow us and refine us and sanctify us, right? This is the big reason why we have the church, why we have the church. When God saves us, he didn't have to give us the church. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to save us and bring us into the body of Christ. Why does he do that? It's so that we can help each other grow. He could save us and just leave us on a spiritual island by ourselves, but he saves us and makes us a part of the church. And look, this is why, this is why local church membership is so important. It's such a big deal to be connected to a specific body of believers so that you can be known by other people, so that they can pour into you and love you and encourage you and help you grow, and you can help others grow. This is the beauty of the church. We need each other. We help each other out. We, we learn from one another, right? Like, this is why we have the church. So he uses our relationships to grow us. God also uses our relationships to confront our sin. And this is part of being open and honest, right? Like, we need people in our lives that when we start to get astray, they call us out. Right? We see this in Scripture. We see Paul doing this to Barnabas and Peter in Galatians chapter 2, right? When they come up to Antioch and Peter starts eating with just the Jews and alienating the Gentiles, Paul's like, whoa, man, you're out of step with the gospel. You've got to repent and, and not do that anymore, right? David, when David had his sin with Bathsheba, how does God confront him? He brings along a friend, Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 12, to confront his sin to call him out and bring him to repentance. God uses our relationships to do that. We need people in our lives that will do that. God also uses our relationships to show us our limitations and show us our differences and how much we actually need other people. That's what I love about Paul's ministry. It's never just Paul. It's never just Paul. There's like one instance, and I don't even know if he was by himself or not, but it's when he's, he's in Athens. We'll get to this in, in Acts 17. And there's not really a mention of other folks with him. It's just Paul in Athens. I, maybe somebody was with him. But, but every other part in, in Acts, it's Paul with somebody. And how does he end every single letter? He's like, man, so-and-so is with me. This person's with me. Oh, hey, can you tell that person to come and, and come back? Like, I need his help with this. Like, tell them to come over here. Hey, tell that person, hey, love doing ministry with you. Hope you know what? Like, he's always got these relationships. We need people in our lives. We can't do it on our own. And relationships remind us of that. God also works by, by cleaning up and restoring broken relationships. God can do that. When relationships get messy, when relationships get broken, God is at work and he can bring restoration and healing to these relationships, right? If we work towards forgiveness, if those who have harmed have worked towards repentance, God uses that to heal these broken relationships, to clean up the mess that sin has made. And, and look, we, we know that Paul had a sharp disagreement, right? We know that Paul and Barnabas separated over John Mark, but that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of their relationships. Paul, what we see in Scripture, Paul reconciles with both of them. Look at, look at what he writes in Colossians 4. Colossians 4, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So Paul's in prison, and he's with some dude with a hard-to-pronounce name and John Mark. John Mark is with him, partners in ministry yet again, right? He, he writes this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. And 2 Timothy is most likely the, the last book, or one of the last books that Paul wrote, one of those last letters. This is towards the very end of his life, and this is what he writes. 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. It says, Make every effort to come to me soon, because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. And at one point, Paul's like, man, I can't go in ministry with this guy. And now he's writing, I can't do ministry without this guy. I need him. He's useful. That relationship was healed and restored. 
And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 6. It says, or, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? And you're like, well, that's a really random verse, Travis. Thanks for sharing that. I don't even know what that means. Okay, well, the context, of it, I don't want to read the whole passage. The context of it is Paul talking about and defending his ministry, his apostleship. And here he references Barnabas as a fellow worker and apostle in ministry. Paul did ministry in Corinth. Barnabas clearly did ministry in Corinth. Did they overlap? Maybe. I don't, we don't know. We don't know. But Paul is referencing Barnabas, this guy who he had a sharp, severe, significant disagreement and argument with as a fellow worker in the gospel. God can heal and restore our broken relationships. And the last way we see him work is God redeems our failures and mistakes. He redeems our failures and mistakes for his glory and his purpose. As we said in our relationships, we're going to mess up. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail one another. We're going to cause harm. And others are going to cause harm to us. Others are going to sin against us. That person, Demas, that Paul references in, in, Titus, or in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, well, if you read other letters, you'll see Demas' name come up as a fellow worker in the gospel with Paul, one of his partners in ministry. And now this guy deserts him. We're going to cause harm. Others are going to cause harm to us. And guess what? God is, God is in the middle of all of that. He's in the middle of all of that, and he's always at work. Our sin and Satan's destruction in our relationships with one another is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. And that stuff, that our, our sin, Satan's work, our enemies' work, that does not ruin God's plan. That does not thwart God's purposes. Even with Barnabas and Paul having this big fight where they split up and go their separate ways, what happens after that? They both continue the work. They both continue the work. And now God's got two teams of missionaries, right? He's got two teams of missionaries. And, and look what happens. Verse 15, verse 41 says, uh, he traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. 16, 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew in numbers. God uses these, this mistake, this, this sin, this disagreement for his purposes. I'm like, maybe without this, they don't connect with, with Timothy. We don't ever have First and Second Timothy, right? We, we don't know the work that Barnabas and John Mark did. And we know that John Mark at this point around this time is going to start working on the gospel of Mark. He's the author of that. Maybe if he went with Paul and Barnabas and they did something else, maybe John Mark doesn't get to that point. Maybe we don't have the gospel of Mark. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know is God worked in the mess and he redeemed the mess. He worked it for his good, his glory, his purposes. This is what our God does. Our sin, our failure, our mistakes are not the end of the story. They're always temporary. God will always triumph over sin and evil and failure. So if you're here and you're feeling the weight of broken relationships, I want you to know God, God sees your pain. He hears your pain. He hears your cries for justice. For those here who, who have been harmed by somebody else, I want you to hear that you, you can trust God with that. You can trust that God will either bring them to repentance or he will hold them accountable for their sin. He will work out his divine justice. We can trust him with that. For those who have done the harming, if you're here, man, you've made some mistakes. You've hurt some people in your life. I want you to know that you can, you can always turn to Jesus. Turn and run to the throne of God where you will find grace and mercy and forgiveness. Repent of your sin. Seek forgiveness and restoration with those that you've harmed. And then rest in the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. Rest in the truth of Romans 8, chapter, one, or chapter 8, verse 1. It says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the moment I'm going to pray, and band's going to come back up and lead us in a moment of worship and communion. We do this every single Sunday, so believers in the room, as I pray, I want to encourage you to spend some time in prayer. 
spend some time in prayer. And, and what we see in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, God gives a warning and calls us to not participate in communion if we're not prepared, right? If we're not examining our heart, well, the context of that is divisions within the church, is broken relationships in the church. What we're meant to draw from that is, is when we examine our hearts, we need to examine and see, man, have I done damage in my relationships? Have I caused harm that I need to repent of before I participate in communion? So Christian in the room, examine your heart. Examine your heart. If there is places where we've caused damage, where we've sinned against somebody else, go and seek forgiveness. Maybe you need to step out and make a phone call. Maybe you need to pull somebody aside and have a conversation. Do that before you participate in communion. Maybe just spend some time in, in prayer and repentance before Jesus. And as you're ready, you go to either side of the room here with these tables. You take the elements, the bread, the cup, you drink, you eat, and we worship and we celebrate our good God and Savior. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, let today be the day of your salvation. Maybe you're feeling the weight of your sin and your failures and your mistakes. Let that lead you to the only one who can forgive you, who can make things right. Put your faith and trust in him. If you want to do that, I'll be in the back. I'd love to talk with you. Or if you're here and you need prayer, you need to talk to somebody, I'm back there. I would love to chat and, and have a conversation, pray with you even, uh, if that's what you need today. Let me pray for us, and we'll move into worship and communion. Jesus, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, Lord, for your forgiveness. Jesus, I, I thank you that you're a God who's not done with us when we mess up. And because you would have been done with me a long time ago. So Jesus, thank you for your second chances. Thank you for working in our sin and our failures, Lord. <laughs> thank you for, as what Genesis 50 verse 20 tells us, Lord, what, what the world meant for evil, what, what those who have harmed us meant for evil, Lord, you mean for good. You work out for good. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of the church. Thank you for the gift of relationships, Lord. Although they can be hard and although they can be messy, God, you do so much through them. So thank you. Thank you for that, Jesus. I pray for each of us as we go about our lives ahead, Lord, that we would seek and pursue godly relationships, deep, honest, vulnerable relationships with one another, Lord. And you would use that to bless us and, and bless those around us, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. We praise your name today. In your name we pray. Amen.